Welcome to the Conversation of Money podcast. This is the weekly show where we talk about all things money and finances and where we furnish you with information so that you can make the best financial decisions possible. So if you want to be better with money, you want to purchase your first home, you want to learn about investing, where to begin, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Peter Komalafe. I'm so thrilled to have you here. So without further delay, let's get into this week's show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode in the Conversation of Money podcast. Hope you guys are well. Hope you guys had an amazing weekend. So today I am joined by um, a very special guest. And this one is not across the pond like my last two. Uh, This is someone that I have known for probably about, I think, maybe a year, coming up to a year now. Uh, We met on IG. um, And her story is very, very inspirational. As a person, this person is very positive just amazing and I like to surround myself with this kind of energy and having knowing what she's like and following our Instagram and how positive she is and how driven she is I thought it would only be fitting to have her come on the show and share a little bit about her story but also talk very specifically about some issues that let's face it exist in the workplace if you're a woman and I can empathize with some of those issues so I want to introduce her because I think you guys listening to this, whether you're male or female, will have some really good takeaways from this. And yeah, she's absolutely great, but I'm going to let you guys judge for herself. And they, her name is Paulina Changuleva. I hope I got that right. She is the global media specialist for Xbox at Verizon Media UK, and she's the UK lead for the Women's Inclusion Network. Paulina, welcome. Oh, thank you so much. That is what an introduction to follow. <laughs> it is, it is uh, a fitting introduction, believe me. That's not overestimating or over-egging it. That is absolutely spot on. Thank you, thank you. I very much appreciate that and I feel honoured to be on the podcast in the first place. As someone who listens to it weekly and is part of your community, yeah. it's honoured to actually be on the other side <laughs> and speaking to um, the rest of your followers. Um And I think today I specifically wanted to start off the podcast by saying congratulations on your 2,000 followers on Instagram. I know it's not, (laughs) I know it's not about the followers, but I think it's just a testament to the amazing work you're doing on social media and not just on social media, but really for the last year in which I have known you, you have always been as committed and as dedicated to serving your purpose and you're so passionate about that that there is no way not to be infectious um like infectious not to be affected by your passion about how important finances and financial education and how beneficial it can be to all of us so having followed you for a year thank you so much for the amazing content you've created for all of us and you should be very very proud of everything you have created because I think this community is something that a lot of us needed in our lives and I know for me it's something that I very much look forward to every week like finding out more and learning more and I am very privileged to be on the podcast so thank you. No I appreciate you saying that um yeah it's been a it's been just over a year and at times it's felt kind of like um is is anyone really kind of listening is anyone really picking this up but then I get other periods of time where I get loads of DMs and people asking me questions. I actually had a beautiful um, DM earlier today from someone who found a snippet of the podcast somewhere on IG and she's gone through the entire 19 episodes. She sent me a message. So that kind of stuff really, really does kind of make it all worthwhile because it is a lot of work creating content. Last year it was daily content, videos every single day. Um, that takes a lot of work. So getting positive feedback is always a great thing. And hitting 2000 today was, yeah, it was a good, it was a good number, but up and upwards and um, more engagement is what we're driving at basically. Oh, I'm I'm sure you reach new heights in no time, but I think 
what you're already doing is a great like it's a great example of what dedication and commitment to your passion and your purpose looks like and I highly admire that because there's many of us that are passionate about things but it's very easy to be passionate about something when you do it for two weeks and it's different to actually be passionate about something and do it as you said consistently for a year every single day I think that just is a real, a real demonstration of like how much you actually care and how you don't just do it for the followers because we all know how easy it is to jump on the trends and talk about something that's interesting and hot at the moment and yeah. then the moment that topic is no longer trendy fall off yeah. and disappear off the face of it yeah no i appreciate that and actually that reminds me of the first conversation you and i had on Instagram because obviously financial education is your thing and that's one thing that you're big on as well and I think um, the first message you sent me was the one that really stuck out because we were talking about um, how you wanted to create something around financial education and that was a really big goal for you um, Mm -hmm. particularly in the workplace and that's how we started to, to talk so I know that this is highly on your agenda as well in terms of that financial literacy piece and I know that you have personal experience with that with that on your journey as well yeah uh it's definitely a topic that's very dear to my heart and i by all means am perfect or feel like i have all my finances together but if there's one thing i'm confident of saying is that i have taken my finances and my finance journey um on quite the trip over the last few years um i think it started off with First of all, I'm Bulgarian because I'm sure all of you have noticed the accent by now, but I was born and raised in Bulgaria and I only moved to the UK when I was 19 and I moved here to study at university. So I think coming back from a different background in Bulgaria, like it's a family of entrepreneurs. Um, so my parents have always been about working hard equals earning well. And I think that was a great um, morals to install in me or to install in a young person that mm-hmm. if you put, if you work hard enough, um, it would result in what you, in achieving your goals. Like there is no other way. If you work hard enough, you always yeah. achieve your goals yeah. one way or another. And I think that was something that even now, like it's set in stone in my head, uh, somewhere in my brain. But I think we never, as a family, when I think back at there, and I'm sure a lot of people would resonate with that because that's irrespective of what country you're in, having spoken to many people, having spoken to my friends and my colleagues. As a family, we never used to speak about money and like how to manage it. So like I was very much taught how to earn money and how uh, my efforts or my work and my dedication um, would result in me obtaining more money or earning more. But we never really spoke about, like, what do you do with that money? <laughs> like, I did see examples of my parents, like, investing into property or investing into their business and so on. But we never really had a finance one-on-one sit down with my family. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that because no one really does. Most of us don't. And if you do, you're lucky because a lot of us go through life and end up halfway through our 20s realizing that we never really had any kind of formal financial education, not from our families, not from school, not from university. And I think that this is an essential life skill as such, because everything in our lives revolves around money. Mm -hmm. And whether we like it or not, it can either be a detriment to our lives and our development, or it can be a tool to achieve Mm -hmm. the lifestyle we want. And I think it was only halfway to my 20s when I had a little aha moment where I actually realized like how I need to change the way I think about money and I need mm-hmm. to really educate myself. And this is so what took for me to have that aha moment. That's the scary part is I had to get to... So I moved to London after university. I had a couple of jobs. And my second job was in London. It was the first job that I had since I moved to London. And actually, um, like six months into the role, I got made redundant. And as someone who, this was my second professional job. And I was Mm -hmm. doing, I think I was 23, well, 24, let's say. 
at that stage very early on I obviously took it very personal and I think at some point I would even be brave enough now to admit that maybe it threw me into a phase of depression like short depression Mm -hmm. but I think putting that aside the mental health struggles of it I think what really made that um that redundancy more painful was the fact that I was not prepared financially and I have been uh, financially independent since I was 20 so as soon as I was able to work in the UK I was able to earn and I was covering all of my expenses so I have been as someone who's been financially independent since they were 20 to then be in a position where they don't have savings you're all of a sudden Mm -hmm. made redundant Mm -hmm. and it has nothing to do with you It was based on my company losing a big client that I used to work on. Um, And then the next day, everyone gets made redundant. (laughs) Mm. And I think you obviously get one month pay, but that one month when you don't have uh, any savings, and at the time I had very, very little savings, living in one of the most expensive cities in the world, which London is, where leaving the house and breathing the air costs you money. (laughs) you all of a sudden realize how you're not prepared for something like this. And combined with the, obviously the mental struggles of all of a sudden I'm in a position where I might have to ask my parents to help me out again financially. I felt mortified from the idea that I will have to go back to asking for money from them. Um, Knowing that I have a certain lifestyle in the UK and they still live in the poorest country in the European Union. that has to play a lot on your mind of like how much are you asking of them like it's a big thing to ask for i think those three months of my life where i didn't have savings i was not prepared i because of the mental like the mental struggles of like being made redundant taking it personally dealing with internal struggles of like i can't rely on family again like i should be a grown adult by now self-sufficient like a lot of those internal struggles i think definitely affected by how quickly i started looking for jobs again and then that as a result affected me financially so i got to the place where i was um doing loads of like i wanted to get my first credit card ever at that time because of the financial struggles and I did so many credit checks on different cards, no realizing, again, absence of financial literacy, listen and learn people, don't do this at home or ever, anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I did so many credit checks for like different cards, like just to check whether I'm elig- eligible before I choose one. Mm-hmm. And without realizing that that absolutely destroyed my credit score if i ever had one it was by the end of it it was in minuses in the minus scores and i think that whole episode of everything put together me destroying my credit score not having the savings hence why driving myself to like the stages of depression because i didn't have the safety net and i didn't have the options um the fact that i um I think just all of it, like everything to do with finances in that situation. I think when I look back at it, if there was one thing to pinpoint that could have made that situation very different, completely different and made it so much better and less stressful and less straining on everyone in my life would have been finances and having my finances in order. So I think that was the tipping point. And I don't know why I had to get to that stage to really think about it, but I guess like everyone else, like you have to like get to the rock bottom to really stream up. So this is where I decided that I am going to go on a mission and learn everything there is to know about your personal finances, how to be better prepared because I never wanted to be in that position again. Like this is my goal to date, even until now. My goal is never to be in that position again, like Mm -hmm. ever. (laughs) Uh, And to also, how can I turn the tables and rather than like, rely on money and feel like oh i'm just giving money for like my hours at work how Mm -hmm. can i use that to then to my strength to my power and think of it of as a tool rather than as something that causes so much stress for everyone and something that we all hate and it's like there's never enough money but like there is enough money out there and it's just what's enough for you my or like what's very little for you might be a lot for someone else yeah. and it's giving that take, taking that perspective as well into account yeah i mean i often say that well certainly when i when i think about my own experience people often get to this stage where they realize oh 
I need to do something different when they have an epiphany. Mm. And yeah. that epiphany came for me in my 30s. And yeah. my big goal around this is if I can have a conversation or provide education or, or a service to people so that they have an epiphany slightly earlier so they don't then have to mm -hmm. lose five years or eight years not having that opinion and realizing they change the word, then my, my work is, is done. But you touched on something that, which I think is really, really important. I can relate to it because my parents are Nigerian and I've been homeless. So that for me is a huge driver in terms of my personal motivation. So yeah. when you got made redundant, and I just want to elaborate on this because I think many people will be going through this right now, particularly what's going on at the moment with the mm -hmm. coronavirus. How did you cope with the, the stress? Because naturally, you're here on your own in the country. You can't necessarily ask your, your parents for any money. It's mm -hmm. stressful enough as it is. And you're right. You leave the house, you breathe the air. In London, you've got to pay for all of that stuff. No emergency fund. How did you cope with that stress? Aside from, obviously, you need to go and find a job. But what, what, what mm. helped you cope? You know what? Um... Probably one was an in the first part was probably an internal battle of like realizing that this is not personal, it's just how business works. Mm -hmm. If that happened to me now, I'll feel very different. It's just how business works. Like, if you get made redundant, it's not always about you. Like, in fact, 90% of the cases, it's about the business or something has happened in the business or there's their profitability, their financial situation, it, it might not have necessarily anything to do with you. So like first lesson I have learned from that is don't take it personal. It's got nothing to do with you. Um, so I think that was an internal battle that I had for like probably the first month of like while I was still getting paid. Yeah. Uh, and I could probably think about that. So I had an internal battle of like taking it personally. And um, I had to... I don't know, get to the point where I was really looking at my finances and it was looking really, really scary to snap out, out of it and be like, okay, we're done pitting ourselves. We're done like mourning this last job and your first job in London. Yes, your life is not exactly how you imagined it when you first moved here, but such is life. Uh, and you now have to get your stuff together and move on. So I think it was like, having that moment of like looking at my bank account and looking very scary where I didn't have the next month's rent or I had like only one more month's rent and then there was no rent like payments coming in and then I had to start looking at credit cards and stuff like that so this is where like I think the fear of like being homeless or the fear of like not being able to pay my rent or being kicked out or like not having that safety net I think really of like your family being here or even financial safety net mm -hmm. really puts the fear in you because you just you don't have options you have to get it together yeah. um but I think definitely friends and family because I don't think any of them at the time knew like how deep in sadness I was because of what was happening but all of them irrespective of that like were messaging me all the time or talking to me would still meet me would even offer to like send me money if I need that they're just like that emotional support and knowing mm -hmm. that they're there I think really really helped um and I fully understand that not everyone has that and not everyone will have like friends that might be able to send them money. And we, wasn't, we weren't talking about like hundreds of pounds. We we're talking about like 50 pounds or so on. Mm -hmm. But even knowing that I had that option at the time helped. But again, I think it's for me, I'm definitely one of those people that it's like, I'm my own biggest critic. So the fact that friends were offering to help me or my mom was saying, let me help you. And I know how much that would mean to her, as you said. Yeah. 50 pounds here which will be nothing for me uh it's so much money for her and especially at the time the exchange rate was yeah wow um so <laughs> i think that self-criticism of like this is not who you are you could do better like that is what helped me get through it and like really demand more of myself at the time but also in the future and I think this is what propelled me to start that journey in the first place so I think it's there were some dark times at the time because I remember like spending days and weeks of just looking at my CV and being like yeah I need to do my CV and I probably need to apply for jobs but I really don't feel like it also I'm still like very mm -hmm. upset about the fact that I was major redundant but I also don't know how I'm gonna pay bills and you kind of feel like 
yeah, I, I wouldn't say suicide though as such, but you do feel like that this is the most depressed I have ever been in my life. And you know, like how positive I am. So for me to say that that time was the most depressing time of my life. Um, also, as someone who has lost a parent when I was 17, for me to say that that is the most depressed time of my life, it really means something. <laughs> like yeah. I lost my dad when I was 17. So like I know what sad times are and I also know what happy times are, but that is definitely a place I don't ever want to go back to. And I think you just have to hold yourself accountable of like, it was my fault. I didn't have savings. It was no one else's fault. It was my fault that um, I didn't get back to applying for jobs immediately. I might have only had like two weeks without a pay if I started applying for jobs immediately. Instead, I took a month. So then I had a month and a half of no pay. So you just have to like be honest with yourself and be like really all of that could have been avoided if you have done better but I think that what the scary, the scary part is now is we, we've talked about this there was a research somewhere that I read that something like 89% of people below the age of 30 in the UK have zero savings and yeah, I mean obviously. like not even a penny yeah and those numbers are actually quite scary because you know I talk a lot about yes. um, having an emergency fund and all this kind of stuff and the reality is you know I think the number was like 16 million households or something like that have like less than a hundred pounds. Yeah. And then another, you know, I think it was 87% have zero savings altogether. Mm-hmm. And that is a scary statistic. Yeah. And it, it kind of speaks to the fact that we don't get any financial education when we're in school. Often a lot of yeah. people will have their first interactions with banks when they are students looking to take out a student loan. And that's mm. the first time that you physically interact with a bank and you're not yeah. being given any information that is tangibly useful to you. You're being given a credit card or a student overdraft and being told, yeah. well, make sure you make the minimum payment on this credit card because um, otherwise you'll incur late fees <laughs> or missed yeah. payment fees. I mean, I was the guy who was opening the student credit card. So I, <laughs> I know... I know how it works and I know the guidelines that the banks gave you make sure that you explain they have to make minimum payment. That's it. And unfortunately that's the reality. That's the world that we live in right now. And it does have knock on effects to adulthood when we are really getting into the serious business of renting properties and, you know, getting on our own two feet and Mm. to make, make way in the world on our own. Yeah. I mean, whether we like to admit it or not, like finances is the one thing that literally impacts every area of your life. It could impact your relationships with your close ones and your family. It could impact your ability to work. It could impact having a house that roof over your head. Not to even talk about the luxuries of having a good lifestyle and so on. It can literally, your health, even your health, it can literally impact everything in your life. And I don't understand why people are not paying more attention to it and we kind of just get paid we do whatever we do with the money every month and then we move on and I think at times like this as well where now we are in huge times of uncertainty probably going into another recession um loads of people are getting laid off or furloughed um I think and the reason why I said the statistic about how many young people don't actually have savings is What's even more shocking at this time is, again, the groups of our society that will be affected the most is the young people, mm-hmm. so millennials with no savings or their first and second jobs, mm-hmm. um, the smaller minorities, so ethnic minorities and so on, and women. Because yeah. it's proven, if we look at every previous recession and every previous crisis, the people that get most affected financially is minorities, women, young people. And those close to retirement. So how can we do better? So when this is happening now or when the next recession comes, how can we do better? Because we know the data is there. We are the most affected ones. And how can we do better to stop that? And I think that's what I'm saying. Financial literacy is absolutely crucial for everyone in our society, but even more so for those people that we know get affected by every little hiccup in the market and every little hiccup in the economy. Yeah. And that actually segues way very nicely onto one of the questions that I have. But before I get to that, you just described a very real situation that I completely, completely relate to because I've been in exactly the same situation from having no family coming on my own, 50 pounds in my pocket, being homeless, can't phone home for my mom and my dad to help me. Then 
working pretty much through desperation to right mm. i need to get off the streets i need to get myself in housing i need to find a job how did you yeah. go from where you were to where you are right now as a global media specialist for a massive international company how did you do that uh, hard work <laughs> hard work uh always wanting no from myself and demanding more from myself and i think i i never wanted to be average if i had to be honest and i don't know what average is i don't i'm not saying anyone is average i don't want to be average in my own opinion like mm-hmm. not in competition with anyone else but in my own opinion do i feel like i'm reaching my full potential like i ask that myself on the regular i'm like are you doing your best can you do any better like do you think there's anything more you could be doing to reach your full potential do you feel like this is it you've got to the place where you're giving your 110% every day mm-hmm. and you have reached your full potential. And the answer is no, I'm giving like 100% and I'm sometimes giving 120%. But if I have to think of like, have I reached my full potential? No, I have so much more to give. I have so much more to do. I have so much more that I want to serve to the society and make a difference. So this is what has always pushed me to like, look for the next thing, look for more opportunities to grow and develop, um, look for more opportunities to grow as a person, but also professionally. And I think it's like the one, some of, some of the good things to, of growing up in an entrepreneurial family is you learn that hard work is everything. You also learn that what you put in is where you get out. Mm-hmm. But also you learn that you don't sit around and wait for things to happen. You go and make them happen. Mm-hmm. Like it's your responsibility to make things happen. So if someone hasn't come to you with, here is this new opportunity on the platter, how can you find there? Like it's your responsibility to find opportunities. It's not even your company. Like you might work for an amazing company and I do work for that one now where they come to you with, oh, here's the development opportunity. Do you want to join this course? Mm -hmm. Or here is another promotion. Do you want it? But many of us don't work for those companies and every previous company I've worked for, most of them have not proactively come to me. It's always been me chasing them and being like, I want to do this course. How can I sign up to it? Or I want to do, I I feel like I could have better presentation skills. And I think like you're responsible for your own success or for your own progress. Like that's how you should look at it. Like no one is obliged to, help you develop as a professional or as a person it's your job you're the person that cares the most (laughs) like about yourself so I think it's always been like pushing myself further never being staying in my comfort zone for too long like I've moved a few jobs in the past because I knew I got to the point where there was nothing else for me to learn Mm -hmm. or I there was no room for progression or for growth. And I knew that I could have stayed there and I could have been comfortable and maybe I liked my teams and my manager, but there was no room for growth. And you have to be like very aggressive and very passionate when it comes to like, this is my growth. I need to make it happen. It's my responsibility. And if I want this, yeah. Yeah. If you want this, you should just go and do it. Just Mm -hmm. go and do it. Don't wait for like the circumstances to be right. Don't wait for people to come to you with the opportunities. They might do at some point in your career. That would be amazing and we'll be lucky. But in your early stages of your career, you should just go for it. And I would say like aggressively pursue your goals. If you want to make something happen, just do it. Like find ways to do it. I know that one of the things that you're passionate about is you're very, very passionate about um, women in the workplace and the whole gender pay gap. And one thing that I know that you said to me, which I would love for you to elaborate on, is the importance of women knowing what they're worth and having the confidence to negotiate a fair salary. I mean, this is such a big topic. I don't even know where to start. But uh, as Pete mentioned at the start, um, I in the last year, I became a lead of the Women's Inclusion Network. And I think... Since young age, I've always felt like I was surrounded with very strong women and like they didn't have to be the most successful. My mom was not a CEO, neither was my grandma, but they were all very 
as I said, committed to developing and they all showed me how you can lead and still be soft and you don't have to like fit in a masculine world and you don't have to be like mm-hmm. acting like a man to be successful. Um, and I think that was a powerful image to have. But throughout my life, I progressively got more and more passionate about inclusion and diversity in the workplace. And there's tons of research that I'm not going to go through now about the importance and how much workplaces are better when whenever there is equality. And I think w- women... There's loads of interesting books that I can recommend to people on how from an early age women are programmed versus how men are programmed and how we are raised as a society. It's no one's fault, but as a society, um, we are raised very differently. And I think men from early start, from the early days of their life are taught to be like very confident and as I was saying, go after what they want, mm-hmm. like and be competitive about their and be proud of their achievements and be um, loud and proud about their achievements. Mm-hmm. They would talk about every achievement they have made. Yeah. While women have always been taught to be like very timid. You don't have to brag about yourself. Mm-hmm. If you do a good job, they will recognize you mm-hmm. for it. Um, we're not competitive like that to compete with each other or with anyone else. Um, we're taught to be quiet so you don't get called psycho at work or too emotional Mm -hmm. like all these stereotypes um, that I think in reality looking back at it now I'm like yes there were so many circumstances where I acted that way as well and there's so many circumstances where I still see the double standards of people treating a man acting a certain way and a woman acting a certain way very differently and I think the one thing that I'm still learning around still learning and seeing in a lot of the women I respect in my life uh, or women that I admire is like they have owned their power and everything about them yes you're different you're not a man you'll never be a man but own what you have you have your own strength you bring your own value to the table Mm -hmm. so own it like you're you're the only you in this world. I'm the only Paulina Tranquilova in this world. I know for a fact because I have checked. <laughs> but uh, but there, you're the only you in this world. So like own it and like own your strengths. Don't just focus on your negatives. Own, be loud and proud about what you do because if you don't talk about that, like who else will? Who else will tell people you did a good job? I'm not saying go and like rubbing people's faces night and day, but there is ways to like, self-promote yourself um to get you further in your career and I think this is where like a lot of women still feel very conscious about doing it and they feel very nervous about oh I have to talk about my achievements and there's there's a really interesting book that I read recently called The Glass Wall and it talks about how men and women we speak this well there is no really a glass ceiling as such they talk about a glass wall where we are on the two sides and we're trying to speak to each other but we speak different languages and we are on the two sides of the wall so we can't even hear each other and how we speak and it's if a man would have a one-to-one with his manager and would talk about all his achievements and all the things they have achieved this month Mm -hmm. a woman would go into her one-to-one and expect that her manager should have noticed her amazing work and they'll feel like self-conscious about talking about the things that they have achieved or the problems they have solved and by all means that doesn't mean that she's any less good in her job we just don't talk about that and I know that because I have only in the last year and a half maybe started doing that and before that I was one of those people that would be like well I'm doing a good job surely they know they notice yeah 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 so I think we just need to be more like owning our power and everything about us and your femininity, your ability to be more, to have, to be stronger on the emotional, like the emotional IQ side, mm-hmm. the fact that you can relate the empathy. There's a lot, this space for all of us in the world. And I think you just have to find like, what are you good at? And what are your strengths? What do you bring to the table? Yeah. And then own it. You don't have to be like anyone else. I definitely think that women have definitely got um, the emotional IQ mm-hmm. more than men. Because yeah. if I look back over my career and I look back at when I was working in Canary Wharf, some of the most successful people in the business were women. And I can reel off names. Mm-hmm. Rapinda, Cecilia, Eloise, Juliet, um, Relitza. 
Milica is also Bulgarian, actually. She was, <laughs> Jesus, she absolutely killed it. Some of the most successful people in the business were women. And they weren't overly aggressive, but they were very, very good with the mm. emotional IQ. And they understood mm-hmm. how to play to their strengths. And yeah. they did that extremely yeah. well. And one thing that frustrated me when I work, and I'm still working in corporate, corporate world right now, is women don't get taken as seriously as men do. And mm-hmm. when there is an air of success because a woman has worked hard, it's almost, well, oh, yeah, but she's a woman. Of course, of course, she's going to yeah. see men. And I, I think that's really, really unfair. And I remember having a conversation with, um, I had a, a conference at the top of 2018, actually. And mm-hmm. there were some really high-performing people on, on the business at this one conference. And I, I was speaking to this, to, this, to this woman. I said, look, how have you found it working at, you know, CEO level, exec level? And he goes, she goes, it's challenging. I said, yeah. well, ha- what have your experiences been working with men? Because I know men in the workplace can be a bit of a nightmare. And, and people say, well, it's okay. That doesn't really, it doesn't exist. And I'm like, well, yeah. actually it does. And you saying that it doesn't exist doesn't mean that it's true. It's like me saying yeah. I have to work a little bit harder. I need to, yeah. just a little bit harder because I need to battle those preconceptions that people might have on me because I'm black. And if someone mm-hmm. says, well, that's not the case. Well, you might think it's not the case, yes. but I know yeah. that it's the case. And I think that's very much the same yeah. for women sometimes in terms of, yeah. well, if you get too aggressive, well, you're then labeled as hysterical mm-hmm. or irrational, yeah. or you can't control yourself. Whereas if it's a man that does that, there is a yeah. clear double standard. You know what? Like something else I have learned is that that's a hundred percent true. I agree. Like you see that irrespective of how amazing and how diverse your company is, you still see it. Like there's still people that act that way. There's still people that feel that way and think that way. And I think one thing I have personally started to pay attention to is when I'm applying for a job is looking at their like board of directors or their leadership team. Mm-hmm. And if they're all white middle-aged men, not that I have anything against them. Uh, I would think twice about how diverse that business is, no matter what they say, Mm -hmm. because we know that this is the one area of gender equality everyone's currently paying attention at the top level, Mm -hmm. at the CEO table, who is sitting at the the board of the company. Mm -hmm. So if at that level they're not diverse, where they're being scrutinized, then how diverse do you think they are in the levels Mm -hmm. below that? Like... And I think the senior leadership really sets the tone for the rest of the company. Absolutely. And I have seen in my business now where in the last year that I have been in Verizon Media, um, our CEO, uh, Guru Gorupan, um of Verizon Media has brought on, I think, something like 70% of our leadership team on Verizon Media now is female and from minorities. Wow. And he's, and a year ago when he started, well, two years ago when he started, but last year when I joined, that was not the case. Mm. So in the space of a year, he's completely turned that dynamic and we are really like, we're a thriving business. So it can only speak about that. And then that has filtered down to like everything else that we do. But I think as a society, even if you are lucky to work at one of those diverse business, we need to do better because we can't tell women we have another 102 years before we're equal. That's mm-hmm. just not good enough in this mm-hmm. day and age. If everything else is moving with such rapid speed, like technology and innovation, then why is gender equality not moving that fast? Because 102 years until we are gender pay equal mm-hmm. is not we need to do better and I think that's for the average woman we're not even looking at specific minorities or specific groups ethnic groups or specific parts of the society we're not even looking at that because that's even a scarier picture and I think when you tell there was a very interesting well every year on the 14th of November is the last day that women are technically being paid to work And after that, if all men stopped working and women continued working, by the end of the year, we are equal. If all men stopped working on the 14th of November and all women will have to continue to work until the end of the year, 
to receive the same salary by the end of the year. So that's almost another extra 40 days worth of work. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, <laughs> it's just, I think we, we need to definitely do better. And if you look at what's even worrying and why I said at times like this of financial turbulence, those areas and women and minorities are impacted even more is, for example, with COVID at the moment, um, this is the first year in many years that all big organizations are now required to submit their gender pay gap reports because of the current mm-hmm. crisis. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think is going to happen when we come back next year? It's obviously not going to be any better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I can tell you that much uh, that every time an organization is not required to do something, especially at times when they're struggling financially, you can already tell that if it's not a priority for the government and it's not a focus for them, then why should it be for other companies? Yeah, so we're essentially losing a little bit of time to make progress on this particular issue because we've got everything going on at the moment with COVID. Yeah, and I'm sure that's the last thing on people's minds right now if they don't have job security or so on, but I think that is only going to make that gap of 102 years even bigger. Mm. And I will not be surprised if next year it's 105, 108. <laughs> uh, so we are moving in the opposite direction of where we should be going. Yeah. Uh, but it's a perfect example of how, again, this is going to impact those smaller groups or those underpaid groups and why it's so important to... Um, really demand more of employers as well when you're applying for a job and when you um, know you're in a good place. I think we should all be more confident about what we ask for because I know that as much as I'm the big diversity and inclusion advocates, I can guarantee you that eight out of my 10 friends, when they apply for a job, they don't think, am I being paid as much as the other people on the team? Like so what, it, it doesn't even go through people's minds. So what advice do you give your friends in those kind of situations where it's like, listen, you need to negotiate a good paper yeah. and not take the first thing that puts, gets put across the desk to you? There's a few things that play into that. One is um, there is, again... I love my research, as you can tell. I love data and research <laughs> to the point of that I love facts and data research gives you facts. Yeah. <laughs> but there is <laughs> there is proven like information out there that like women would only apply for a job if they feel like they're hitting all 10 out of 10 criteria, for example. Okay, yeah. Men would apply for a job if they feel like they, they could do half the job or like mm-hmm. two thirds of the job. So immediately have someone who is overqualified because she's applying for it because she has she can only do she can do 10 out of 10 mm-hmm. i'm like what and i always challenge them i'm like if you could do everything is this really the right role for you is there anything you're gonna sure. learn there sure. like so i always question them the moment they start applying for jobs i'm like what what's your room for growth what's your room for development if you can do everything then what else are you gonna learn there mm-hmm. like um so that is something that our previous CEO, it's Thomas Cook, told us. And he actually made me really think, I'm like, wow, all these, like, so you're telling me that all these people that apply for the same roads <laughs> are not as qualified as me, yet uh-huh. they get paid more? Uh-huh. I think that was an eye-opener. And I think, yeah, it's important to look out for a company and like how diverse it is. If that's something you're interested in, of course, in the first place, you should look out are they committed to equal pay so like i know verizon media for a fact is committed to equal pay so Mm -hmm. they pay no matter who you are in the same role they'll pay the same to anyone that's in that role so they are committed to that and they've made that pledge they're open about it it's on their website look at the leadership team look at them uh look at their equal pay commitment look at then the salaries and the job description, make sure you always leave some room for growth. Like if you could do everything that's in a job description, that's probably not the job for you. Um, and then once you get to the stage where you've interviewed, you like the company, they like you. Um, I would say don't be scared to negotiate because what is the worst that could happen? You have already gone through the whole recruitment process of actually interviewing if you're at the stage where you're negotiating a salary, the likelihood is, first of all, hiring someone is so expensive. A company yes. would no want to go Very through that so. again. Yeah. It's time consuming. Majority of the time, they want someone 
like to start as soon as possible. They don't have like six months to be offering people a job and then mm -hmm. hiring someone out and then doing it all over again. So I think what is the worst that could happen? They could say no, and then you still have a job and you still have that basic salary that you originally asked for, or you can actually meet you halfway and that's still more than what you originally asked yeah. for and I think I always something that a recruiter told me many years ago and I always say it to like all my friends irrespective of who they are is give um when you apply for a job if you don't know the salary give yourself a bracket of like this is I am somewhere between for example 50 and 60k so then you have room for negotiation based on how much you like the company, how much do you feel like you can learn there. Mm -hmm. If you feel like there's less to learn, you probably deserve a bigger salary then. Mm -hmm. If you feel like there's a lot to learn, so you would rather take less pay, but you would have more growing growth opportunities, mm -hmm. then you have still, you're still in that gap. So I think like 5 to 10K gap when you're talking to recruiters or to a company and you're interviewing with them, leaves you that room to then once you get to know the company and the opportunity in more details to then decide what are you actually worth in that position because you already know you're worth between that amount of money mm -hmm. um but depending on like how much you're taking back from the company itself because bear in mind it's not just you giving to the it's company they also have to give back to yeah. you yeah and it's not just in monetary like values but you also need to being like what is where is this taking me how is it taking me like closer to where i want to be one day yeah uh or to like my dream job so don't just think of it like you're the only person that needs to bring bring value to this relationship it's a relationship and it's a two-street relationship at that uh and it's probably one of the ones that you spend most time with because we spend so much time at work so this is the whole thing it's like i think companies definitely definitely know that when they're offering someone a job that there is likely going to be a bat back to say listen mm -hmm. let's negotiate because if you're offering 60k i think it's probably yeah. worth something like maybe 65 and there yeah a lot of the time there will be more than open and expectant that that's going to mm -hmm. happen and yeah it is a two-way relationship like if you're going to go to this place and spend most of your day there development has to be key i mean this goes for whether you're yeah. you're female or male you how are you mm -hmm. going to develop because if, if you're in a job and you're not developing what is the point what is yeah. the point unless you want to just go into a job where it's easy you can just go in do your thing sit back yeah and just do a good yeah. job but development certainly for me is it's one of my professional achilles heels because i think i found room to develop in one business one business and that was the business okay. in Kanae Wharf. Every other place that I've been afterwards hasn't quite, quite hit that bar. So development is really, yeah. really important for me. And I think that should be important for anybody uh, going into any yeah. career because you know, you're going to spend most of your time there. So you want to make sure that you're actually getting something that you benefit that puts you in a better yeah. place for the future as well. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think I've actually even heard like senior leadership not just in my company well not in my company actually in other companies so speaking to like some of my previous mentors or some of my industry peers people are actually surprised if you don't negotiate your salary these days they're like oh they didn't ask for more as in why did they not ask for more like do they not think they could do the job like are they questioning their own abilities so ask for more like you literally have nothing to lose if you're at the stage of negotiating a salary there would i am yet to hear of someone who got told no and then got told they also don't have the job it was yeah. always a discussion yeah. so very, very they want you just as much as you want that job so that's all you need to bear in mind when you're negotiating so you just mentioned there that you've got you 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 have a mentor or you've had mentors before do you have, have you got mentors mm -hmm. currently i think you have right no, I don't, uh, purely because I have been really busy to approach a few people, but I do have a target list of people that I need to reach out to. So how uh, do you pick your mentors? Mentor. Because I think mentors are really, really, everybody should have a mentor in some way, shape, or mm -hmm. form. It may not be an official, I'm going to mentor you, you're my mentee, yeah. but someone that yeah. you definitely learn from someone that guides you yeah. takes you underneath their wind be it in a, an official or an unofficial capacity how do you yeah. find what's your selection criteria for a mentor 
Um, I think you're very right there when you say that you, even if it's formal or not formal, you always have someone that's mentoring in your life. And I think like, I definitely can think of a few people in my life now that I am learning from and whether they know or not, they're like informally mentoring me. (laughs) Uh, And I am learning and soaking up all their knowledge. (laughs) I think what I am looking for in my mentor is someone that I'm inspired by. Like, even if they don't do exactly what I want to do one day, mm-hmm. they inspire me. I admire them. I want to learn from them. Or I feel like there's a lot to learn from them. Yeah. Um, and I would say getting a mentor is the best thing you could do for your career and your development. Like, I have had numerous mentors or sponsors throughout the years. Um, and that one hour a month I have I'm yet to say like I have had a mentor that was a waste of time like every single mentor I have ever had um has been the most valuable one hour a month that I had was with them like it was that one hour a month was I would come out of it and be like is this really my life did I just learn all of this did they just give me all that knowledge for, for free like you learn from these people and One of my previous um, mentors was actually my last mentor before now was um, the chief marketing uh, officer for Thomas Cook globally. And when I first got assigned like that mentor specifically, I was like, I don't really know, like our jobs were like, I mean, we used to work at the time as well. So I was like, oh, this is going to get very political between managing the work relationship and then also managing the mentorship. Um, And that one hour a month with him was like the most valuable one hour. And it was from basic things like how does he manage his diary, Mm -hmm. like working Mm -hmm. across so many countries worldwide. Mm -hmm. How does he manage his diary and how does he manage to prioritize some of the things I'm still using these days? to the books he's reading, to the advice he would give me of handling a person, like a specific situation. Like, I think you can learn so much from a mentor, but also it's important, something that I only learned a few years ago was the difference between a mentor, a sponsor, and a coach, mm-hmm. and why you need all three in your life, formally or informally. A coach is someone that teaches you the practical skills. Mm-hmm. So you don't know how to present they'll teach you how to present Mm -hmm. like one-on-one basic skills um then a mentor is someone who might have walked on a similar path and would be able to advise you but would never tell you what to do Mm -hmm. they would be able to say from my experience i think in this situation you should do the following Mm -hmm. or this is what i have seen and then a sponsor is someone who actively sponsors you and promotes you and believes in you and your development opens doors for you whether it's in your company or in the industry like they believe in you so much that they're willing to say please consider her for this opportunity um and i think you you can turn a mentor into a sponsor if you have that good relationship Mm -hmm. or like even just a mentor on its own is very powerful but discovering that difference um was really really (laughs) was a game changer because my last mentor was also my sponsor and he physically opened doors for me and managed got me to spend time with other leaders that I would otherwise email and I would probably never get a reply myself (laughs) and I think that was probably like one of the um, life-changing realizations in my life where I was like so there is someone that would that is not your parents or your friends that would believe in you so much professionally that would put your name forward and would recommend you um, and believe in you and still mentor you I think so if you can find yourself a sponsor by all means but if you can even start with a mentor that is not to say that's not going to develop into a sponsorship so my tips will be look for someone that you're inspired by and you admire someone that you feel like you can learn from so be very clear about what do you want from that person as well like what do you want to learn what skills do you want them to have because every mentor and sponsor you ever approach the first question they will ask is how do you think I can help you like how can I help you and if you don't know the answer to that then you're wasting their time and you should not be doing this but also be very clear about what that person looks like and if someone comes along that 
is not that and doesn't match, um, that's also okay. It's okay to say no, because it needs to be the right person. And equally, if you find a mentor, but you don't actually get along once you start speaking to each other and meeting regularly, that's also okay. You might have to change mentors. And I've seen people that this has happened to that have been assigned a mentor and then it turned out they don't actually get along or yeah. they don't actually have that chemistry of like learning from each other. And when you're approaching a sponsor, you should always be very clear about your elevator pitch. What do you want from them? But also what value do you bring to them? Why they should give you an hour of their time every month? Like, cause a lot of the people you'll be approaching will be very busy and yeah. will have other things to do. So you need to have a good reason as to why they should sponsor you or they should mentor you. So if there was one piece of advice that you could give to anybody listening to this, specifically any women who are in the corporate world, who are professionals, who want to progress through the career um, sort of ladder in their various fields, what would be that one piece of advice that you would give them? That's a big question. Uh, and it's so hard to narrow it to one piece of advice. I would just say, I mean, it's super simple, but go after what you want. Like, and if you can't get there in one way, then there's always another way. Um, be accountable to it. Like it's your responsibility to make it happen. And the moment you realize that and take ownership, everything changes it's a game changer and i think just be very clear about what you want and go and especially in the current crisis as well and i personally went through this where the moment that we went into lockdown the first thing that came to my mind was oh my god i can't achieve all my goals now like all the things i wanted to achieve this year what happens Mm -hmm. to them like i can't achieve any of them and then really took down sitting for me and looking through my vision board and being like you're not realistic here. That was just the panic and the fear speaking. Mm-hmm. You know what they say, don't change the goal, change the way, like change the direction, change the methods. There's always a way. So I'm going to ask you a question actually, as, as we close this, this off, because you've mentioned vision board and I, yes. I, I'm, I'm a big believer in it. What's on your vision board? Yeah. So my vision board is split into four categories. Okay. I had to remind myself, uh, fitness and well-being just general well-being uh personal development i have personal development goals i have finance goals of course of Mm -hmm. course and i also have career goals so that's how i split my goals i review them i have gone through all forms and versions of vision boards throughout the years i used to have like picture visual vision boards Mm -hmm. then i used to have big words now it's a proper list of things i want to do with and then I read it literally two days ago to readjust my vision. And once I did it and I wrote out my goals for each area, I then, to make sure that they're measurable and achievable, I also sat down on a separate piece of paper wrote, okay, you want to get to that weight? How are you going to get to that weight? Like, what are the daily actions you're going to take to get there? And there's many ways that you could do vision boards. You could do it annually, you could do it monthly, you could do it every three months. My current one is like every three months, but on my vision board, yeah, there's some very, very big things. The whole point of a vision board is that it moves you forward and it doesn't matter whether it's only five steps forward versus 10 Mm -hmm. or 20. The point is you're still five steps ahead of where you would have been had you not have had it. Yeah. What's on your vision board? Because now I know that you have one. (laughs) (laughs) So on my vision board, um, my vision board, consists of a lot of the stuff that I'm doing right now with obviously conversation of money that that forms a big part of it. Um, mm-hmm. I have financial goals, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I've got a, a big, well, so last year I had a number of financial goals. I worked through two of them pretty quickly. So when I revamped my financial goals back end of last year, it incorporated um, some financial bits and pieces that, I'm, that I've, I've actually already got the money there. I've already met it. But mm-hmm. with the lockdown at the moment, there might be a little bit of a change in direction um, to that goal. But one of my big goals, um, looking at conversation on money and what I'm doing here is, first and foremost, I need to grow the podcast out, reach as many people as possible. Yeah. That's my big thing. Reaching as many people as possible. When I started this in January, it was kind of like a my mate goes to me, I was in Thailand at the time. He goes, well, if you're going to start the community and you're doing videos now on YouTube, then you might as well just take the audio and put it down as a podcast. And I was like, 
Yeah. Okay, I could do that. And then um, as I started looking through the numbers, and I think we actually had this conversation, I was looking through the numbers and I was like, hang on a second, the podcast is reaching more people across more geographical areas than I ever could have thought. So yeah. the big goal is to grow this um, quite significantly and actually start working with people one-on-one as well. Maybe not one-on-one because mm-hmm. one-on-one is, is hard and time is always an issue. So actually providing courses, providing structured ways to actually help people, you know, begin investing, yeah. um, you know, get on the property ladder, make sure that they're, that they're taking the correct steps at the correct points in time. So I'm building that right now. So there's a lot to do with conversation of money. Um, I've got some personal goals in there. I need to get fitter. Um, I don't work out enough. And that's a function of me being um, overly busy a lot of the time. And yeah, not having too much of a stringent routine i need to be better with my yeah. routine and I, that routine needs to include um working out a little bit more so those are those are things i feel I like I, everyone will relate to the no working out bit right now <laughs> yeah. you're speaking to a lot of people <laughs> it's like i'm waking up at the minute and i'm like yeah all right okay i've got a gym like downstairs i should go and like work out and i'm like i look at my to-do list and it's like i've got to get through all of this today and i'm just like okay right uh i've got yeah. to do that that's I have to do this and then by the time I get yeah. stuck into things it's like it just once I get into tunnel vision I get into tunnel vision and that's it yeah I I think like I was listening to actually something today like I was listening to a podcast by Brendan Burchard and he's like a motivation speaker and coach and whatever else and he was talking about like how the way to get yourself to do exercise where without feeling guilty that you're not taking off things of your to-do list well, by doing that, uh, is thinking about the benefits of you exercising will have back to your work, how much more productive you'll be after that, how much more clearly you'll be thinking after that, how much more energy you will have to go after the things you want, like by exercising and eating well or sleeping well, whatever, all the different steps that you could do to, to get your mind and body right. So. And I'm like, that's a good way of putting it. Like, cause I have that as well. I deprioritize exercise on the regular to do work. And I think the way we need to be thinking about this, yes, it's half an hour away from my work, but if I did that, I will be that much more productive in the next two hours after it, or I will have that much more energy to work. Yeah. That's actually, that is actually a coaching model. Um, so. Yeah. Back when I was working in Canary Wharf, um, my background is sales, right? So I've always been in sales and interacting with people being out and about. And one thing that I'm really poor at is admin. I hate paperwork. Absolutely yeah. hate paperwork. And I remember we had a, a coaching se- session where they talked about, okay, now if you strategize and write down all of your goals and you have a look at what you need to do to hit your goals and what time you mm-hmm. need to allocate to them, and then you look at all the things that you don't necessarily like doing that you put to the side and it ends up taking you longer because yeah. you put it to the side and then you finally get around to it. And there's so much that you've procrastinated doing. Yeah. That you spend even more time and it goes, the easiest way for you to work towards your goal and being more efficient at working to your goal would be to prioritize the things that you don't necessarily like doing do yes. those first yeah. and then you have yeah. more time to achieve your goals and that is actually a co- and you say that it's just reminding yeah. me of that actually because yeah. that is a that is a coaching model yeah i mean don't they say like do the harder things that you hate the most or the hardest things and tasks at work first thing in the morning so then it's out of the way in the rest of the day it's like more pleasant and enjoyable so same thing just a different different sphere i guess different environment Absolutely. Yeah. Polina? This has been such a pleasure. You dropped some serious gems right there. Like, seriously. <laughs> I hope so. No, you have. And it's been amazing <laughs> speaking to you. And I, I hope, I, I would really love to um, sort of get views of people's thoughts on this episode. Because, yes, the podcast is called Conversation of Money. But you know that I often say money is mm. a tool. And yeah. it's okay to have financial goals. It's okay to, you know, know how to budget and do all these kind of things. But the reality is that we 
we have so much else going on in life that is dependent or reliant on money in some way, shape or form. So yeah. this podcast, what I wanted to do is bring people on who have different experiences, different perspectives. And some of the stuff that you shared today has been golden because I can certainly relate to it. And I'm sure many people who have listened to this will be able to relate to it. And I think specifically when you think about what's going on right now in the world with COVID, that people will know that actually I'm not alone. Mm, yeah. Other people have been through this. And actually, if someone else can, can get out of it, so can I. And I think that's really what I hope to achieve with this, with this podcast. Yeah. I, I really do appreciate your time to talk through your stories and talk, talk about your journey and, and, and what you've done and how you've managed to get through things and where you are right now and the stuff on the mentors, the sponsorship and the coach was just fire. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you. It's been such a pleasure and you made it so easy. I forgot we were even recording a podcast, which is what a great host does to you. <laughs> and I might have said way too many honest things I would regret later, but it was such an amazing experience. And yeah, I by all means, I'm not perfect, but I think every person's story has elements that you can find inspirational and relate to and i hope people can find something they can relate to because we are all ordinary people no one's perfect no one's like made there and has no flaws so just i hope they find something to relate to and they find useful perfect before we go you got to tell people how they can how they can find you oh that's a great question um so my social media channels are polina.ctml that is from a blog I once upon a time started, which is coming back, by the way. It's called Chai to My Latte. Uh, so that is my social media handles across all platforms. So you can find me on polina.ctml. I will literally tag you in the show notes. But guys, this has been another episode of the Conversation of Money podcast. My friend, I have a friend who always used to describe people with using two items. Barbie and if she listens to this she'll laugh and she'll know <laughs> what I'm gonna say she goes there are two kinds of people in life there are radiators and there are drain pipes and when you think about what radiators and drain pipes are drain pipes suck out all of your energy they're negative they kill your enthusiasm they just want to just burn your vibe then you have radiators who are just people who are enthusiastic full of energy positivity who just radiate and make you want to be better make you better that's Paulina for you and I hope that that has come across in the podcast and I hope that you get a lot of value from today's episode um, if you want her back please do request her back you might ask her back anyway just for another chat but guys I hope you've enjoyed this as ever you know where to find me on Instagram conversation of money um, you can check out the YouTube channel as well because I post them there as well I talk about money finances all the stuff that is there designed to empower you to make the best financial decisions possible but guys have a great day <laughs>